What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, baby. 
what are we doing right now? I feel like we only hang out in transit. Yeah, well, um, if uh, you're listening to this and you're wondering what that insane sound is in the background, uh, Bridie, my wife, just picked me up from the airport and we're hours away from having to uh, put this episode up. So we're going to record today's foreplay on the drive home. In the car where we all like <coughs> to have our bits diddled. That's right. Have we ever fucked in a car? Um, <coughs> I've never fucked you in a car. No? No, I don't think so. I think you blew me in a car once. What? Yeah. When? Uh, there was one time that we were driving, it was, I think we were driving to Muskoka, and Ted and Tara, you, our, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, your sister and brother-in-law, were ahead of us, uh, maybe you jerked, you jerked me off, that's what it was, <laughs> remember that? Uh, I can't say I do, but yeah. I think you proposed that weekend, so <clears throat> it must have been pretty decent. That's, <laughs> Jesus, fuck, <laughs> alright. Um, so, uh, I want to keep this segment short because, uh, it's going to sound like shit because we're, um... In a car. Inside this car. Uh, however, the reason why we're in the car is because you're picking me up. I was away for the week. I had some work. I've been, I've been getting into public speaking, Bridie. What? Yeah, do you know this? Come again? Yeah. So, I, I'm kind of dabbling into a new career path, um, and this is the, this weekend was like the, the sort of first, not the first, but like it was one of the first really deep dives into the world of the career. And were you speaking about sex? Uh, absolutely not. However, we should talk about that. Okay. I've got some, you want, I, ha- I had you some want... conversations while I was away. Okay. Yeah, so we, we might have some, uh some opportunities. Anyway, (laughs) I was speaking at two different events. One was a fundraiser for cystic fibrosis, uh, which for those of you who are listening, if you didn't know, I have CF and I'm dying from it. Uh, And then the other one was uh, at an arts conference in New York, in upstate New York, which was super fun. It was a bunch of photographers in like, actually, you know where it was? It was at the resort for the biggest loser, the biggest loser resort. Oh, cool. Yeah. Anyway... The first engagement that I was uh, taking part in uh-huh. was a fundraiser, and it was held at a very, very snooty, very um, hoity-toity golf club in the beaches in Toronto. Like a country club? Uh, no. It, well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. A country club. Okay. Um, also, we should say you're the one who's driving, Bridie. <laughs> yeah. I had a little too much to drink on the plane. And you don't like to drive at night? No, I don't. This so, is very stressful. Yeah, for you're me. kinda stressed out. You're gonna do the least amount of talking possible. Okay, yeah. And we'll just you know, just bear with us listeners, okay? <laughs> uh, let's let's allow her to drive. So Brad, let me do the talking here. I was at this uh, this fundraiser at a at story a story of my life. <laughs> for fuck's sakes. So I was at this country club. And uh, it was, it was, it was for a small audience of about 150 people. Yeah. But all of these people were very, 
very wealthy. And uh, it was a very small, tight-knit group, and they were all friends. They all knew each other, very community-oriented. Uh, and we're at this country club, which I'm sure there's some of them that are there that are members of this place. Are some of them there listening to this now? Like, <laughs> maybe. If, if you were there, I'm not talking about you. But maybe I am. I don't know. You're the hoity, but not the toity. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I give this speech... And afterwards, I hang out for a bit, as I do at these, at these events where I do my speaking, and have some drinks, and people are having drinks. And Bridie, this whole, like, inside joke thing where I've been talking about how I'm trying to get my hands on a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Babe, if it was going to fucking happen, that night would have been the night. What are you telling me? telling you that I think I had my choice of sugar milfs. mamas? Yeah, sugar mamas. I literally I so you know how awkward I get and how I like I don't know how to flirt and when it does happen I get really weird about it and I don't yeah. I don't really know what to do. Yeah. I was so shook. Take it right here. Yeah, there you go. I was so shook up. Like, I so did not know what to do in this moment. There was a, there was one woman who, she was so drunk, and then she came up to me afterwards, and she wanted to talk about Artsuka. They're all moms. So she, and a Artsuka. lot of them were big Artsuka fans. And she wanted to come up and talk about Artsuka, which is this children's show that I used to host. Which it makes sense for you to be totally fetishized for, because not only were you adorable and energetic, but you, like, seduced their their kids to yeah. be quiet. I was the babysitter. You, I was their babysitter. That is so true. <laughs> yeah. And their art teacher. Their yeah. Little... Yeah. Everything in between. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and the overgrown hair, like... Oh, your hair was so Boy, cute. you know? Oh. Anyway, so there was there, the one situation... There was actually a couple. There was there was one woman who gave me her card and then gave me a, a kiss as her she left. card? No, her like business card, but her business has no business in. In there's, your no, there's n- absolutely not. There's no reason why she should have given me this card. What she want you in her business for? Uh, she works in. <laughs> oh Does my she god. She want you. No, she's not listening. She works in physical manipulation, like body manipulation, ah. so like the uh, mas- like massage therapy world. Yeah. And uh, just gives me this kiss out of nowhere. And, and it was like, it was such a pleasure talking to you, and leaves. And then, and then, adds me on all my social media channels. And I was like, what, like, what am, am I supposed to react here? Like, what do you do in this situation? Is she trying to tell me I will buy you a Nintendo Switch? Uh, you should have just asked her. I should have. And then you there was You should have just sent her your Amazon wish list. I, I should start That's one. what should be on your business cards. Yeah, yeah my Amazon wish list, fuck me. So then there was another woman who was with her husband, but she was very handsy, and she was very, very drunk. And she wouldn't stop saying, like, I loved what you had to say, you're, like, I love, like, you're so amazing. Like, it was just, it made me feel really weird. And, and I kept looking at her husband being like, all right, like, I, like my hands are here. Not like, touching. My, my hands Can't are get in the, mad. That's right. My hands are in the Not air. Not touching. Can't get mad. But she was, like, she was grabbing my waist and, like, grabbing my... Like, tiny little waist. My tiny little hips, like, 
in her in her handsy hands. So needless to say, I feel like you know, look, I'm in a me and you are in this together. I'm in this committed relationship with Becca. We're not in a place where we're seeing other people right now. Uh, but if we were. Would it have been inappropriate to go home with one of these moms? Nah. Definitely. That's some homewrecker shit. Well, is it? You never know. I don't know. I mean, it's not like, you're probably not, you know, not to diminish (laughs) it in any way, but you wouldn't probably be the first ex-child star that went home (laughs) with one of these women. I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, fucking crazy part of life, you know? Yeah. I, I really don't know what else to add there other than... Just like other than a I'm getting, little piece of meat yeah, in a wolf pack. I felt really weird about it. I felt Did you so... feel objectified? I felt a, a little. Not, no, not really, but a little. <laughs> but, like, you definitely say not. yes and that you enjoyed it. Like, I'm totally I definitely enjoy it. I, down no, to I, be objectified from time to time. I 100% enjoyed it. It was like... To, you know, it was a huge confidence boost. Yeah, I don't know. It felt, it felt nice. It was nice. Did anyone touch your butt? Uh, no, okay. no. That was uh, that was just myself in my hotel room when I got back to my <laughs> hotel alone. All right, let's move this forward. Uh, we got one brain boner for today. Uh, it comes from somebody, and I'm not going to say their name because I'm not sure if we're allowed to say it. Hey, Braddy and Jeremy, I'm a huge fan of Turn Me On and being turned on. Hello, from the East Coast, but currently living abroad. When people ask me why I talk so openly and explicitly about sex and racial relations... (laughs) Racial relationships. Radical relationships. Your podcast is one of the resources I love to suggest. So honest and curious. You too rock. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I'm currently in a long-distance relationship with a person who is just as stoked to push boundaries as I am. We decided to keep the relationship open, at least while I'm away... And so far, we've been killing the communication game. Hey, oh, that's awesome Woo-hoo. to hear. As easy as I find it to be super blunt and honest when I'm talking about my sex, my brain boner today has to do with dirty talk. I'm pretty shit at it. And try as I do to get better, mostly through forcing myself to do it, I need some advice. Sex has never been over, overly verbal for me. I don't love dirty talk while I'm having sex, but I'd like to find ways to maintain sexual intimacy in this long-distance relationship, and I'd love for my partner and I to get into this practice of dirty messages slash Skype conversations. So, tips on dirty on sex talk? Hot messages to send when you're multiple time zones away? Maybe even tips on Skype sex if you have them? Keep up the quality conversations and go fuck yourselves. XO, long-distance lover. Well, long-distance lover... I love dirty talk. I feel I'm I'm gonna brag. I feel like I'm fucking good at it. Yeah. Brady? Yeah, I think you're great at it. Thoughts? Um, I uh, I also love dirty talk, but it took me a long time to figure out what was hot to me and uh, and to practice a few times like I've only had Skype sex, I think, with you, Jeremy, and that was... Oh, was so fun. Yeah, and it always felt really awkward for me. Um, Like, I definitely 
I don't think I ever got off during that, but it was fun, if not a little, like, nerve-wracking. Was it fun because you knew, because, like, I definitely got off yeah. to that. Yeah. This was when I was, like, away in Mexico. Yeah. Um, I was away for, like, three months, and I got off, like, hardcore to that. Yeah. And I think you knew very well that I was really into yeah, it. Yeah, and that's, and that's the fun part. And, like, really, I just remember you telling me places, like, point the camera at. Yeah. But, um, but that was kind of fun. Uh, as for dirty messages, I always find, I find writing dirty messages is, like, one of my favorite things. And I'll, like, I'll kind of, like, take my time to compose something that, that I think sounds hot. Um. It'll usually just be out of nowhere, like, unprovoked. Um, just like, I want your blank in slash on my blank. Whatever you're feeling. I want your thumb in and on my belly button. Sometimes, How yeah. hot is that? Well, I did some, I did text someone the other day. I, I someone. I just text, um my boyfriend the other day that I uh, wanted to see his cum in my belly button. And so that is a real thing. Oh my god. Yeah, okay. But it depends on what you and your partner are into and like what kind of language really turns you on. Yeah. Because uh, it's completely different with every partner that I've had. What I've found has been very effective in both turning me on and turning my partner on is texting in terms of text like sexting like yeah. like messaging back and forth yeah is being is just very like eloquently and descriptively describing what it is you would like to do to them mm-hmm. or what you would like to see and feel them do to you yeah um just write out a narrative and it can be it can be as long or as short as you want it to be. Just take like 15 minutes. You're riding the bus, be like, all right, I'm going to sit here and fantasize for a moment. What would I like my partner to do to me? And what would I like to do to them? And I'm going to try to make it as like, as like verbally descriptive as I can. Like I want them to smell it. I want them to feel it. I want them to hear it through my words. Right. And more often than not, I find that, like, it, that really, really works both ways. Um, I don't know. That's what I would say. And then in terms of Skype, like, I know when we were doing that chip ride, I would just tell you what I wanted to see. Yeah. And you would just do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, vice versa. Like, if you said, show me this or do this for me because I want to see it, I would do it. Yeah. And that's what's hot. That's what's, like... You just just give what is wanted and, and ask for what you want, I think, is the kind of takeaway here. Yeah. And if you get into photos, too, that can be really fun. You can, like, take oh, yeah. your time with that, like, a lot of back and forth. Yeah, and download, like, download, like, VSCO or something, like a, like a really good photo editing app, and play around with that shit. Like, you can, you can take some, like, originally horrendous-looking selfies and turn that shit into, you know, some, like, very solid-looking photography through through a, a photo editing app and, uh, and kind of completely change your game, so. 
fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, babe, thanks so much for picking me up from the airport. I know that you love to be picked up from the airport. I do. It means a lot. I know. And you know what I meant to tell you is, uh, right before you left, we had a little chat and I, um, I said I needed to hear from you every day. Mm-hmm. Um, did I do that? And you did that. And I just wanted to say that I appreciated that. That meant a lot to me. Well, I love you. I know you do. I feel it. Well, that's when you say I love you too. I <laughs> love you. Okay. Too. All right. All right. So uh, we we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Listen, uh, before we get into it, I want to just throw this out uh, right away. Um, and you probably already know this from the title of the episode, but huge trigger warning. Uh, today's episode, we focus in on uh, Carly's experience in sexual assault. Uh, there's no beating around the bush. We dive very deep into her experience in being assaulted while living uh, abroad. And um, I think this is one of those conversations that's really important. I think, I, I, first of all, I want to commend Carly for coming in and sharing her experience so openly and, and so bravely and, uh, and just being such a fucking rad guest. Also, thanks for the beers. Um, and uh, we hope you love today's episode because this is, this is a, a special one. And uh, yeah, I hope you love it. See y'all fuckers on the other side. I didn't dry the whole hour. There was no wicking. Nah, there was none of that. And I was like, ooh, I'm sticky. Like, I'm touching my own wrists or my hands. And I'm like, I'm sticking to everything. And everybody was like, it feels like a tropical storm out there. Um, That's exactly You guys keep the door open mostly at Moshe, don't you? Well, in the hot room? Yeah. No, I mean to the front. Like last time, I was, the last couple times, it's been like propped open because it's been so warm. It's a hot I day. wouldn't say normally, yeah. but yeah, that's nice when someone thinks to do that. Yeah. It's not usually me who does that. I but do it a lot. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Today was the first time I started a class at Moksha Halifax with the door propped open of this hot room. Because oh, it was I, so hot. Was it your second It was class? 104 degrees. I teach almost exclusively with the door propped open somewhat yeah. in the summer. And... It's hot. I think people love me for it. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to Jeremy's class. He has the no, door open. No, they like I, your I classes because you teach cold. without a shirt on. I don't. Not anymore. Not not anymore. <laughs> studio what, policy. What? Co- oh, studio policy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, the other men coming in to teach classes couldn't compete with Jeremy's abs. Oh, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> a file was, com- uh, a complaint was filed and We're gonna Jeremy end- was asked to put a t-shirt on. And that's where that conversation ends. <laughs> We're right there. Uh, hi, Carly. Hi. Wait, are we going by Carly? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Sometimes people come in and they're like, I don't want to use my I real name. I just jumped in. No, that's fine. Well, great. Perfect. Um, if you were going to use an alias, though, do you know what it would be? 
Um, I really like that game that children used to play as a child where you like figure out your porn star name. Yeah. And mine is Maxie Brock Lane. <gasps> That's so, so good. Yeah, so I'd probably go one. by Maxie Brock Lane. Maxie was your first pet? Yes. And Brock Lane was my first street. Mine would be uh, Eric Hallmark. I love that one. Me too. Sounds Mine? like you have a huge package. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, but uh, Eric Hallmark does. So I moved a lot as a kid, and we had some like some <clears> pets. <throat> but the the first like significant pet to me, and the first and the street that I the road I really grew up on was uh, so my name would be Salty Valley. Ooh. Oh man, <laughs> sounds like a low budget <laughs> porn star name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's. Yes. You can see like the boom. She, you know, coming she's not even. The st- she's the stand-in yeah. for the. Porn You're the fluffer. Yes, yeah, fluffer. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, salty time. valley. Salty valley. That's a fucking good one. Yeah. I like that's that's trashy. Yeah. That's real trashy. That's what I like. Um, but today's conversation. I think we're. I think today. If correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like today's conversation. We're going to be diving into some uh, subject matter that is. A little more uh, sensitive than like yeah. we, what we usually talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we should say that straight up right now up front. Uh, trigger warning for anybody who's listening that we're going to be talking about sexual assault, right? Yes. Okay. We got that out of the way. If this is not the conversation for you or you know that this is going to press some buttons, take your time with this one. Press mm-hmm. pause whenever you need and come back to it. I will do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I was really struck by uh, with your <laughs> letter was like, you're a good writer. Thank you. Do I you, appreciate that. Do you like, express yourself through writing a lot? Like, Is that a big part of your processing of life in general? Um, I find it to be a cathartic experience, but also one that I grieve over, especially when I write about like anything related to this topic. Okay. So I do enjoy creative writing, yeah. um, but... I started, I journaled a little bit to try to work through this process and I found it to be extremely painful just because it is a trigger for me to reflect on it at all. So I I do like to write and I have enjoyed writing about it, but it's something that I write my thoughts down and I get a couple pages out and I never reflect back on it. Like mm. I don't go back and look yeah. at the pages at all. It's only that one-time experience where it's like I... like a purging. Yeah, exactly. How about in terms of talking about it? Have you have you talked about this experience very much? Um, not at first. It was something that for a full uh, calendar year, almost it was almost to the like exact annual um, or anniversary, rather, um, of the experience that I even broached the topic with anybody at all. And it was with my mother, which was Whoa. a really hard conversation yeah. to have. Yeah. But it's because of the effect of that experience, I had kind of developed um, some post-traumatic stress disorder from it. And I was suffering really badly at that time. And I had convinced myself that from that experience, I had contracted AIDS because I was like, I was in a really dark place. So I woke my mom up at like 3.30 in the morning. And I was like, I need you to know that I have AIDS and I'm probably gonna like not be alive soon. She was like completely bewildered did not know how to process it and was like, what are you talking about? It's 3.30 in the morning. She knew I had been suffering from anxiety and was going about um, get being put on medication for that, but she didn't really know the reason. Like where it, it all stemmed from. from. Yeah. Well, would it, like, maybe 
are we getting ahead of ourselves here? Is a little it, bit. Is, would it be, is it, are you comfortable with taking us back? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, then let's do that. Let's start there and then, and then work our way up to awesome. AIDS, getting AIDS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, so, where, like, where did this all stem from? What was the... Um, I was a very uh, naive little girl in university. And uh, weren't we all? Yeah. At one I point. wanted to experience the quintessential university experience of going abroad for a semester. Um, and I decided to go to Denmark. So I was living in Denmark at the time. And I had a long term boyfriend. I sp- spent almost the entirety of my university career um, with a long distance boyfriend that was going to school in- at first at McMaster and then he um, t- transferred over to St. Mary's. So I was currently in a relationship living abroad, um, trying to, I guess, uh, have as much experience as partying and socializing with people of different ethnicities and from different cultures and backgrounds. And I was really enjoying myself. What's Denmark like? Is it, uh, I've never actually been there. It's very homogenous. Okay. (laughs) So most of the friends that I made um, were international students because I found it really difficult to crack into that like Danish homogenous society. And I didn't have any interest in learning Danish after I arrived because some of the uh, girls from my school that had um, been there the previous semester told me it was a complete wash of a course and Mm. that it was not worth being in. Mm. So I wasn't really set on integrating myself into Danish culture, but more so the international culture of the university that I was going to because the amount of international students almost paralleled the um, the local students. Right. So, oh wow. Yeah. So it was a really neat experience. I got to meet a, a bunch of great people from a bunch of different countries. Was this like a one year thing? That it you, was. You do like an exchange. It was one semester. Yeah. It was one semester, but okay. I stayed for because their semesters run longer, and also I stayed afterwards to do some traveling. I was there for around eight months, I think. Okay. Okay. So I went to Denmark, and. I started to realize what a silly decision it had been to stay in a long distance relationship. Like, I think it was kind of evident at St. FX, but it was more evident to me when I was abroad because you're just, St. FX is also really homogenous uh, in terms of the community there. And it's a lot of really like-minded people. There's just, it's just partying. But that's what it felt like, strictly yeah. partying. I went to Acadia for a year. Yeah. And I mean, it was the same thing, like small town. Town yeah. probably wouldn't even be on a map if it wasn't for the university. Exactly. And just partying so yeah. fucking hard all the time. So I really wanted to expand my horizons and become <laughs> yeah. cultured. Right. My parents had sent my brother to um, France for a month when he was like 16. So I was super jealous about that. And I uh, insisted that I had to do an exchange. I also insisted that I had to go somewhere different than France where all my friends were going because I wanted to be alternative. Yeah, non-conforming. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I went to Denmark and I picked the most like northern area of Denmark. So I arrived in... Was um, it Flughaven that you well, went? Well, it's I not like it. the actual most most northern tip but it's the fourth largest city is Albor ah, ah right right next to Splurg <laughs> I've actually I don't know Jeremy's any, fluent I, in <laughs> Danish I don't know if you knew that but I can is. tell I'm gonna look up and see if Flughaven or Splurg are any place Flughaven places. I'm sure <laughs> it probably is actually I can see it I'm seeing yeah. these words yeah. like phonetically in front of my I eyes. think I'm just naming uh, Ikea furniture I've seen <laughs> yeah. once at some point in my life I loved, I literally went to Ikea once a week when I lived there. <laughs> so um, I was living in the most northern tip of, 
almost the most northern tip of Denmark. And also the culture there was very much of drinking all the time. So you get into a habit of being with a bunch of international students that are there to have a good time. So there's a certain amount of partying, but I made a good group of friends and I really enjoyed it, even though it was dark for about 14 hours a day like when I first got there. literally dark. Oh, yeah. No sun. So that was really depressing in the winter. But conversely, when it started to get nicer out in the summertime, it was bright all the time. So you had to have blackout curtains, otherwise you'd be up all night. But anyways, I did a lot of partying. Pretty far north. Yeah. Yeah, well. I did a lot of partying, but I didn't do very much intermingling with men because I had uh, the boyfriend at the time. Mm. Right. So during the end of my experience, um, I was coming up on Carnival, which when I arrived, it was like, this is the shit. This is like the most exciting day of the year here. You have to participate. Don't book any trips for when Carnival happens because... It's lit. Is it like the same time as Carnival in like... No. In, okay. But it's essentially... Similar idea? Similar. Well, yeah, exactly. It's just a giant parade. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of just having floats where um, most of the people in the floats are dressed up, there's not so much dressing up in the crowd, or at least I, I think from Carnival and like the other version. Mm. But in Denmark, the Carnival is just like a giant costume party that roves around the city. And then it finishes with like a School of Rock style Battle of the Bands concert in a park, which is really... That's fucking rad. It's really cool. Yeah. So um, the whole time I had been in Denmark, I had been there with my best friend, uh, Kenzie. And we were pretty much stuck like glue the entire time. So I always knew that I had my best friend right over my back, like looking out for me and vice versa which was excellent because we did a lot of traveling, just the two of us. But she had to leave early because a family member was getting married. So Carnival, it was just me and my and my new friends. Mm. So I got back from a trip to the Netherlands with my parents and hastily threw together a Ninja Turtle costume like the morning of. There was still like wet paint as I was arriving. To Good breakfast. choice. Yeah. So we... Which uh, of the four? Honestly, I don't know the name of the red face. Raphael. Raphael. Okay. He was my boyfriend. That that's who I was. <laughs> is it four or is it five? Four. So I thought. <laughs> so I obviously Doy. not a child of the eighties. Uh, yeah, well. So I. I watched uh, Arthur. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm, explains why you're so whiny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I didn't watch fucking Arthur. I watched Caillou. Oh, that explains <laughs> why you're so whiny. <laughs> that's yeah. the whiniest character you can think of. Yeah, he's the worst. So I. Um, I had my Ninja Turtle costume on, and we all headed to have some drinks with brunch. And the plan was to go from there to a house party, and then we were going to join the throng of the carnival parade. And I didn't really realize at the time how crazy of a party it was going to be, because I had some friends warn me that along with the 100,000 people that were about to descend on our small town was also a, a, a... Enough of a proportion of those people were interested in engaging in illicit activities, including like petty theft and drug dealing. So like there was a lot of people converging on the city and I was warned to keep my wits about me because mm. it was it's an intense experience. Which kind of I mean, like kind of comes with the territory of mass groups of people getting together in yeah. one place. Like, you know, think about any, I don't know if you're a, a, a frequenter of music festivals, yeah, but like, like Oceaga. go to fucking Oceaga, go to careful. Austin City Limits, go to Lollapalooza, like any of those big, big, big festivals, that shit's going down. Yeah. Like it's, you know, you got to keep your wits about you. Or any like major trafficy tourist destination. Cause like we, the only time I've ever been even attempted uh, to be robbed was on a 
overnight ferry in Spain, and it wasn't a mm. massive group of people. Mm-hmm. It was just like they know Easy that tourists. naive tourists yeah. are exactly, yeah. Yeah. or people that have had a little bit too much to drink and, are quite mm. vulnerable. Yeah. So um, I had not heard the one hundred thousand people number though. So when I like the sheer number of people that were involved in the parade was like fuck a lot of people. It was completely overwhelming. Yeah. And I had been drinking, but like at this point when we joined the throng of the parade, I was like, wow, I need to be more intoxicated in order to enjoy this. It's like a little bit overwhelming right now. So I didn't bring any liquor with me. We decided we would stop um, at the 7-Eleven because in Denmark you can drink wherever you want, which is, it's a kind of a double, yeah, double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah. So we ran quickly into the 7-Eleven as the parade was marching by and we didn't want to lose our friends. So we kind of like ran ahead, ran inside. And at the time there was a special for Tuborg. Have you guys ever tried Tuborg? Uh-huh. Yeah, very familiar okay. with it. Um, well, Tuborg makes tall boys at, and they sell them through 7-Eleven and they're 11%. Oh, and you yeah. can get three of them for 20 bucks. Sounds like facts. <clears throat> facts 10%. Exactly. That was my jam uh, all through university. Exactly. And I was like, I need to get this done now. This episode's actually brought to you by facts 10%. <laughs> if you head on over to facts.com, put in term on 50, you get 50% off your bottle, which brings, brings it down about uh, 30 cents. So uh, it's a good deal. Facts 50 10%. Okay. All right. Anyway. So I grab my three tall boys and I hand one to one of my friends and I stick one in the float that's like just in front of us that we're kind of like keeping up with, but it's closed. So I'm like, I'm not concerned. So we're walking and like a lot of the girls there had quite suggestive costumes on. Like there was people wearing dominatrix outfits and Mm. like that was totally kosher. I had a Ninja Turtle outfit, so I was not really keeping the pace. (laughs) So when I spotted this very handsome Scandinavian looking boy that was wearing like a Spartan outfit across from me, like probably like 15 or 20 feet away from me, I was like, hmm. He likes the Ninja Turtle anyways. And so I was like, it's going, I'm interested. He's very cute. Mm -hmm. So he approaches me and is kind of like hanging out with my friends and I while we're just following the throng of people. And um, I was like trying to be the life of the party Canadian girl and was like sharing my beer with people, which Uh is like in hindsight, maybe not a good idea. Mm. Um, So I... From that point on, remember nothing. There was like a complete and there was a blackout for like multiple hours. So upon speaking to some of my friends afterwards, um, they said that I told them I was leaving with this guy and he's like has his arm around me. And they were like, well, you should come with us. And I was like, yeah, dismissive and just like wave them off. They didn't think that you seemed incapacitated? No. Okay. They, uh, uh, I think everyone was pretty incapacitated, but I was no, mm. I didn't seem any more incapacitated than the rest of them. So, um, many hours later, I came to and I was in a park, and I was like very disoriented. I had no idea what was going on, but I knew like I had my home and beacon on, beacon on. So I was I was trying to find my friends. So I immediately get my phone out and start like dialing people madly trying to get in touch with somebody who would answer their phone and I eventually got a hold of someone and they were like where have you been all day this is like come meet up with us this is stupid you abandoned us I was like okay what's the address and I plug it into the GPS in my phone my shitty Danish flip phone and I just start tracking and I 
crossed over the bridge. And I was like, this has taken a long time. But I really was not aware of how much time elapsed was during this trek back to my friends. But it ended up taking me several hours to get back to them. And by the time I got back to them, I was still like super out of it to the point where I was like not like my hand-eye coordination was off. And they were trying to ask me about where I had been, but I didn't really have any answer for them. And one of them told me afterwards that I was talking about how my like vulva was sore, which is not normally your typical party conversation topic. Mm-hmm. God, I got a sore vulva Ooh. today. <laughs> but I was... I, I Bridie was, actually never stops talking about a vulva. I'm like, Bridie, not here. It's my, it's my parents' dinner. They invited us over here. Stop talking about your vulva. So I was so out of it that I like, I wasn't really part of the party. I was just kind of like, half zombie state so I remember walking myself to a bus station ended up having to wait for like another hour or two just to get a bus because it was so jammed in the city everybody trying to get out of the city after carnival and I just went home I wasn't I did not feel sober at this point I didn't feel drunk but I didn't feel sober Mm -hmm. so I got home and I didn't really bother to take stock of the situation because in, in Denmark it's very common to party until like 11 o'clock in the morning hmm. so you go out at like 1 30 party through the evening shift bars three or four times and by the time you come out from drinking it's 11 30 people are going to and from work and that's was completely normal and i had done that a couple times before so i was like god i feel shitty but i was definitely really drunk i don't really remember what happened for that several several hour period but nothing was coming together yet can I ask a quick question? When you say you came to in the park, was it like you woke up or was it like you kind of came into out of your blackout? Like, do you know what I mean? The difference between those? It wasn't like I was laying unconscious on the ground and I just, I stirred and I woke up. It was more so like I was sitting in a park bench, leaning my head back and I like opened my eyes and I just remember thinking like, how in the world am I here? I have no idea where yeah. I am. It, have you ever have you ever been in for surgery? Have you ever been anesthetized? No. Anesthetized? no. Uh, have you? Yeah. It. I, I feel like it would be a similar kind of situation. Like when I go, I've gone in for surgery, fuck, like, I don't know, five, six, seven times in my life. And every time you come out of it, you, you you go down and you you you're like, all right, I'm in the OR and they're putting like laughing gas on and then you don't remember anything. And then the next thing you remember, you're just opening your eyes, and that's it. But it's it's not like waking up from sleep. It's not I've... like coming online and being like, "Whoa, where am I?" It's just kind of like you just you close your eyes, you open your eyes, you're in a different place, yeah, and that's, that's it. That's exactly what it was like. Yeah, I'm not super proud to admit the fact that I blacked out a number of times <laughs> while drinking, but like for me, it's like. Yeah, I don't remember that. I just remember not feeling as drunk anymore. Mm. Like, uh, all of a sudden being able to retain short-term memory yeah. again. Mm. You know? yeah, it was literally like I had a... Yeah, it was like I closed my eyes and opened them again, and I was in a new location that I was completely unfamiliar with, and I had no idea how I'd yeah. gone there. Yet yeah, you're, like, it, you're not too worried about it. You're not really, like, questioning it that much. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, it's like, it's almost like a dream state. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, when, you, when you're having a dream and you're like, all the people in the dream are made up and you're in a place that doesn't make any sense, but you don't question it. You no, just go, this some, is the reality. somehow familiar. It, it's somehow yeah. familiar. It's, I feel like it's kind of a similar... And I remember, like, I could walk. 
I definitely could walk because I walked for several hours, but my hand-eye coordination was off, so I was, like, bumping Mm. into things as I was walking. And not in, like, the kind of, like, oh, you're drunk and stumbling. It was like I I didn't see them in front of me, but it was was my depth perception or something Mm -hmm. that was, like, really skewed. So I... It was a very disorienting walk. Mm. And if you had asked me asked me to recreate it later, I would have had no, no idea. idea. And Not you don't remember feeling like worried while I, it was happening? I think I I did feel panic when I when I came to and I was like, I don't know where I am because I started immediately dialing friends and trying to get a hold of someone to figure out where they were. But it was more so like, How did I get separated? I need to get back to them now. My whole day is like gone awry I was supposed to be with them the whole day mm-hmm. it wasn't I wasn't for, fearful that something had to happen to me this is a something I was asked once to explore and I'm an actor and uh, on a film project and like that moment the kind of coming to and being like trying to put the pieces together and so that's why I'm kind of probing for those mm-hmm. kinds of questions I'm just so curious about those those moments that people don't even think about mm-hmm. okay sorry to interrupt that's okay so i got myself home and in bed and i went to bed and i slept for a really long time and if you had asked me how many hours also i could not tell you and it seemed like i was in my apartment just isolated for several days and i'm guessing it was probably between the like two and a half to three day range but i didn't like reach out to anyone i didn't leave my bed i had like blackout curtains up I didn't really like eat anything. I just was like subsisting off water and I felt so sick, but not in like your traditional hangover sickness. I just felt nothing was right. And I couldn't like I was trying so hard to piece together where that giant black spot was because I couldn't fathom what had happened. Mm. So I like something was not sitting right, but I didn't I didn't have any deep suspicions like I am not a great drinker. <laughs> Let's get that s- straight. <laughs> I also yeah. have my fair share of experience of experiences blacking out, but not for many hours at a time. Like I might not remember like how I got home mm-hmm. in like the drive in the cab, but I always have flashes of like, oh yeah, I remember seeing like Lauren outside of the pub or like <clears throat> or I remember this moment, but there was like a whole period where there was just like nothing. Mm. Right. So I honestly push it so far to the back of my mind that I was, like, not willing to consider that something had happened. I was like, I'm just not going to even go there right now. And I still had a a month left of being in Denmark, and I really wanted to make the best of my experience. So I was like, I had a couple different trips planned, and um, I just put it to the back of my mind and didn't want to think about it anymore. And then it was, I was going on a bike trip um, to a beach that was, like, 35 kilometers away, so we had to bike uh, through town, and I we biked past this, like, green space, and oh, all wow. of a sudden I was, like, <gasps> completely breathless, like, had n- no idea what struck me, and I was, like, why is this so familiar? This is really familiar, and I don't understand why I feel like I've been here before. And I was, like, oh, but I should backtrack a little bit. After having been in my apartment for several days, uh, I eventually, like, decided to get in the shower (laughs) which is a good idea um but i noticed when i was showering that i felt sore all over and i had gravel and like debris from like forest debris stuck in the palms of my hands Mm -hmm. so i start like rubbing that off and like every time the water touches me somewhere i'm like oh fuck that really hurts so i um kind of took 
stock of myself in the sh- in the mirror when I got out of the shower and I realized that my knees were completely skinned and also had like the same like gross woody debris mm. like bark debris in my knees the tops of my feet also um had the same like abrasions and the like bark residue on it and so did the my back had like a cut the size of a clementine on it that was just Jesus. completely mangled and like starting to get infected because I hadn't done anything about it or showered for several days. Um, so at so that the point, gravel was stuck through your hands and shit for that long. Like, were you just like, there was like little, were rocks. you just like living in bed for days? Yeah. Like for days, dark, like my whole room was dark. Just felt like just, shit. Just sleeping. Wow. But I'm thinking that there was probably a period of like intense repression mm. in reflection because mm-hmm. well, I've done a little bit of research into um, PTSD to do with like sexually related incidences. And that's a very common theme is that people uh, subconsciously repress those experiences because it's too traumatic to for them to, to process. even just like face yeah. it. Right. So um, I realized that I was like cut all over. And so I decided to take a look at my clothes from the my costume and the crotch of my pants was like completely ripped out. And I was like, well, that's not normal. Like I've fallen down and torn knees out of pants before when I'm drunk. That's yeah. that's happened. I've fallen down. Tear a crotch out. Exactly. Unless you're riding a, a concrete mechanical bowl. Exactly. Yeah. So the crotch of my pants was torn and I was like, that's strange. So on this bike ride, um, so in in that in those moments of the shower, the the abrasions, the you know the 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 torn up clothing, um, even then it was like, nope, not gonna face it. I just like, like yeah, just kind of just didn't bear even it, like stuffing it. it down, being yeah. like, wow, that's fucking weird, and I, I'm on with my day. It's yeah. just kind of like unexplainable. Just shoving it, pushing it away. Yeah, I was. Mm. Was there any part of you that was like, oh, I just, I had sex with that guy? Um, I guess because in my four-year relationship um, with my long-distance boyfriend, there was two incidences of fidelity or infidelity on my behalf. Right. And um, those that was like a not very fun experience for me and I had to like talk to him about it and we had to work through that as a relationship and it was terrible honestly it was like I was racked with guilt so I think a small part of me was like really scared that I had made a terrible decision with this guy right and that and that's probably another reason I was repressing it because I was like racked with guilt because I had a track record of infidelity with him so it was that was almost as bad for me to consider that I had cheated on him again yeah as it was to consider that I had been sexually assaulted. I asked that because I feel like a lot of people have probably explained away such similar situations as, mm. as uh, I, I've been unfaithful in relationships mm-hmm. and like not recognizing what it was that was making me do that. And, and um, I've also, not that I've ever been in a similar situation, but I think I've explained away things I probably shouldn't have explained mm-hmm. away as being my fault because of a past track record mm-hmm. that I've had. That's, a, that's Yeah, my... no, I, I certainly have. It was like one of the cornerstones of me entering any new relationship is that I refuse to be unfaithful to them. It's It was so traumatic for both of us to go through that, and I yeah. didn't want to do that to a person again. So after we came through those two incidences and he was so forgiving and wonderful, um, it was like my chief priority to not do something like that while I was away. So 
in reflecting for just a brief moment on the fact that that could have been a possibility, I was like not willing to even consider mm. it. Mm. And I um, ultimately, uh, when I had that flashback, it was like the pivotal moment where I was like, oh God, I recognize this place, but I have no actual recollection of being there. So I started to kind of piece together that something fishy had start, had happened. Mm-hmm. But I still was in a very reluctant place to even, like, for almost a full calendar year, I repressed yeah. any, like, consideration of this. Event. How did it come out? Like, how did you how did you make the... How did you come to the realization for yourself that that you were assaulted? Um, I guess just the equation between having... Because I, like... I'm not the type of person to engage in that aggressive of a sexual encounter. Mm. And especially given that I was dating someone at the time, I just know in my heart of hearts that I would never consent to somebody like physically abusing me in that way. And I don't know necessarily that he put anything in my drink. We were sharing a beverage, but I didn't go because I was in denial. I didn't go to get a rape kit done. I didn't go to Mm -hmm. get my blood tested. And in hindsight, I really would have liked to do that because I think it would have given me the evidence to like validate that I am not responsible for this. But I have never, I'm, I don't have that opportunity anymore. You mm. can't go back in time and get that done. But I feel, I still feel really horribly guilty about the experience. Mm. I put myself in a really dangerous position and regardless of whether or not he put something in my drink or he lured me away from my friends i am ultimately like i feel like i jeopardize myself yeah i well i you know and i'll never get the validation totally and i hear where you're coming from but uh you know, you you kind of set it up yourself in saying that you were in a situation where there's a lot of fucking people. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, just because you make yourself the life of the party doesn't necessarily mean that you're the, you're the reason why this... Like, that's, that's, the, that's the thing that, ma- that just makes me so... I shouldn't, I shouldn't... I shouldn't be trying to tell you how you should feel. Like you feel the feelings that you feel, but it for and and it's easy for me to say because I wasn't I'm not I haven't experienced mm-hmm. something like that. But it just guts me when I hear people say things like, "Well, I'm I it's really my fault or I'm the one who who kind of like had it coming." Mm-hmm. When you take into consideration that the, like 99% chance this guy was a fucking predator. He put GHB in your shit, and that's the reason it happened. Not because you chose to do anything, but because he chose to do this one thing, which is fucking horrible. And maybe there's a hundred different scenarios of how that played out, but like, you know, we... Uh, I haven't been in your situation either, but like I feel that we are more likely to be like I shouldn't have been that drunk than a man is to be I shouldn't have been that I shouldn't have been that drunk. I set myself up for that situation. Yeah, you know I yeah. think we do carry, and it's probably due to a natural nurturing nature that mm-hmm. we have where we take on more responsibility than is due for. Th- Everything. 
Mm-hmm. Also, because like I really would have loved to have that concrete evidence of him being at fault because I, I see things very black and white. Mm. And because I can't cast the blame on him without knowing for sure, then it, the blame by proxy just like falls on me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Have you done any like talking to professionals about this? I find it really difficult mm-hmm. to talk to professionals about it because um, I find that most of the psychologists that I've seen um, I generally like to see women when I'm talking about this topic in particular. Um, but I find that because they come from a different generation, for the most part, the whole um, like s- culture of rape in universities that's so prevalent in the culture of bi- binge drinking kind of escapes them. Mm. And I have had psychologists say, well, you clearly had too much to drink and you put yourself in a vulnerable situation or like what kind of what kind of thing were you wearing when it happened? And like, were you, did you put yourself in a vulnerable position such that like you could have prevented this? And yes, I totally could have. Yeah, but that's the fucking thing. That's the fucking thing is that it, no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what precautions you take, it's the same thing as like getting mugged, right? No matter what precautions you take, if someone is good enough at what they do, they're, they're, they're going to be able to, to do it. Mm-hmm. Like like if you if you're someone who's very cautious about the drinks that you share or the things that you put down, there's still a way and like there's still a way to get raped. I agree. You know what I mean? Like it 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 is not because of the situations that people put themselves in. It sure that might play a role. But people are at sometimes people are out there to do the things that they do and they're going to find a way to, to do it. You know, we, mm. we can put we can put locks on our doors and lock the door. It doesn't mean someone's not going to get into your house and take your shit. Yeah, it's true. So, sorry, I, I that's get... That's okay. I, I, didn't, I don't mean to, like, no, get okay. all heated about it, but... I also felt a huge reluctance in discussing it with people that were my peers because mm. I had had those two incidences of infidelity. Mm-hmm. And like, everybody has a drunk night where they go home with someone in a one-night stand and make a fool of themselves. And I felt like if I discussed this with my peers, they would think, because I'd heard these kind of similar situations dismissed, oh, that was just Carly at Carnival on exchange being mm-hmm. slutty because mm-hmm. she was wasted. And she probably did consent to it at the time. And now she's spinning it on its head like she is a victim. Which is the fear of every woman exactly. who has experienced it. And I've done, like, I know the statistics are not... Um, exact because it's such a topic that people have difficulty talking about but um from what i can tell uh, my most recent um google searches it one in four women in north america is like a very conservative estimate of women that have been sexually assaulted and of those one in four women only six percent talk to the authorities about it which is like such a staggering like number it's so low 94 percent of the women who are assaulted don't come mm-hmm. forward. And I think it's because of the climate that they face, uh, like the legal climate that they face in discussing it that makes people so reluctant, but also the guilt that they feel and the way society perceives them. Totally. I felt this whole thing when the Gian Gomeshi thing was going on because I have a hard enough time expressing myself about really non-consequential things that when people would be like, well... You know, 
so-and-so didn't admit this thing. And it was like, because how do you explain the psychology behind... Like, we don't understand it. We don't... Nobody talks about it. Nobody... There's no... There's nothing to explain to us why we do mm -hmm. the... Why we act the way we act. And um, that is a... You know, we were just... We mentioned her several times in this episode already, but we were just talking to an evolutionary biology psychologist who is just tapping... Like, the earliest years of female psychology mm -hmm. when it comes to stuff like this and um and yep so much we take on so much responsibility and so much guilt for and it sure we can say like well society says you know it's your fault and it's got to be someone's fault and you know you, you you're responsible for your own activities but like at the same time i was 20 and on exchange and it's mm. compl it's so complex yeah. and like ugh. okay so maybe this person will never know the consequences or they'll never deal with the same you know ramifications uh, exactly yeah. probably not probably not not at all and that's a burden for a lot of women that mm. they carry and they go well this has been a part of our evolution for a really long time exactly how did how, to to kind of fast forward a little bit um how did the aids thing come about well um when i came back um, my relationship was already in a tumultuous state so i knew that i didn't want to be in the relationship before carnival happened um uh, but after carnival happened and i started piecing things together um, I knew I absolutely could not go back into my high school relationship. Like it, it was like completely unfathomable for me to resume that relationship. Not to mention, I was um, really concerned that I had contracted something. Not that I was having any symptoms, but I'm I'm a worry wart by nature. Mm. So I was so utterly terrified that I had contracted something from this partner that I had knew nothing about. Like I didn't even know his name. So I uh, I came back to Canada and we kind of solidified <clears throat> or tried to solidify the breakup over the first couple weeks. And I immediately set about going to get tested. So I got tested and everything was clear. But the doctor said, but, huge but, um, there are certain STIs that can develop much later after you encounter someone. So mm -hmm. like HPV and herpes were like the two hot button things for me that I was absolutely terrified. Did you tell this doctor that you were sexually assaulted? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. But the, I, I guess I did talk about it before my mom. I did tell my mm -hmm. doctor. Okay. So um, I was very, very concerned immediately that I had one of those because uh, another... Um, Another aspect of PTSD is like I can't think of the name of it, but it's like the it's like this phenomenon where you always come to the worst conclusion. Catastrophizing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So 
I was like, I definitely have herpes or HPV. And well, I mean, just... you probably do have HPV. I think HPV, it's like yes. I think it's like 120% of the population has <laughs> HPV. Isn't that the stat? Yeah. <laughs> My doctor literally was like, you better hope you get HPV before you're 25 because you clear, oh, it, like yeah, a, you right. clear it like a dream when you're that young. Oh. <laughs> I was like, fantastic. <laughs> <You clear laughs> is, that what they're, is that what they're trained to say yeah. these days? <laughs> so I, uh, I was really, really concerned because... Although I knew the relationship was over, I really wanted to be intimate with my boyfriend because I think it was like lacking in that category right then. I needed the physical and the emotional support. But I didn't want to be physical with him because I was so scared to put him at risk of something. Mm. So we broke up and I went back to my fourth year. And I was like catatonic. I was like living with my bong like a foot and a half from me. So I was just like self-medicating with weed all the time. And I was not physical or like dating anyone at that period because I was not in a good place. So I came home from school that year having spent like a year in like terrible mental health condition. And my mom noticed when I got home and was like, we have to do something about this. She's like, put the bong down. Yeah. I was also living at home, so it's way way trickier to like right. sneakily smoke the bong. <laughs> yeah, right. Little did I know the like intake uh, intake air vent for my entire like upstairs air system was like right underneath my like <laughs> the deck where my bedroom door was. You know right. so much more about science now. Yeah, <laughs> she was like, you know, you've been blowing smoke into the entire house for a month now. Can you please stop that? So, I uh, I was very very anxious, and I was working at the time, but. Um, not enjoying my work and not feeling I was coming home from work and essentially like either smoking weed or just going to bed Mm. and spending a lot of time by myself so I went to the doctor because like as most women of my age like do some scaping Uh, I was doing some scaping with like a big razor not advisable and uh the doctor, or I got a uh, folliculitis, which is essentially like an ingrown hair. Wait, what the fuck? Scaping? Like, it's like landscaping. L- landscaping down there. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> ah. So I did I, some scaping yesterday. <laughs> Fantastic. Did you make a topiary? Uh, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was doing some scaping and I gave myself an ingrown hair. And I went to the doctor and talked to them about it because I immediately assumed it was herpes. I was like, I have have herpes for sure. God, the amount of of times I got a zit on my dick and was like, oh, fuck, my life's over. Yeah. So (laughs) So the doctor was a walk-in clinic doctor because my doctor um, teaches or works at the Dalhousie Teaching Clinic. He's fantastic. And he, I couldn't get into him because he, the appointments you make several weeks in advance. So in my, like, I have a, a... I have a doctorate from WebMD. I must preface this with that. So I was like doing some Googling and I was like, oh yeah, Mm, this totally mm -hmm. looks like herpes. Mm -hmm. So I go in and the doctor was like, oh, well, it might be herpes, but it looks like you passed the, if it is herpes, it looks like you've passed the 48 hour threshold in which it's like most ideal to test for. So I could give you a swab right now, but if it's herpes, it'll probably give you a false negative because there's probably not enough fluid there to test. Oh, fuck. Perfect. I'm sure that feels great. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of fueled the f- the flame in terms of uh, like STD related anxiety. And so from there, it just got like progressively worse to a point where w- even when I was not sexually active, I was getting tested like 
minimum once every two weeks, sometimes like five or six times in the same week. To oh, fuck. For like, for everything, like for chlamydia, for gonorrhea, I was just, I needed to be tested. I needed a clean bill of health if it was like the last thing I was going to do. So it just spiraled it way out yeah. of control. So I would go to like one walk-in clinic, spend like an hour and a half waiting, see a doctor, drive to the next one. And oh, it got wow. to a point where the walk-in clinic doctor was like, we have like yeah, six lab here? results right. that are not even processed yet just from you. Yeah, because right. I get tested once a month. Yeah. That was the most regular they would do it. They were like, any more frequently than that, we're going to have to give you a fake account number because mm. the lab will just be like, nah. Yeah. So they told me basically to stop coming <laughs> because the lab, all of the files in the lab said my name on them. <laughs> yeah. And so this, like, this poor lab tech that's sitting there is like, God, this girl gets around. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was getting tested very regularly, and it was not contributing to a very healthy uh, mental culture up there. So I yeah. was, like, sitting, constantly sitting in a room full of sick people that are filled with anxiety, just, like, stewing in my own anxiety. It was not a good scene. So I could not assuage my fears of herpes and then it developed from there one night in a particular, uh, particularly anxious state that I came to the conclusion that I had AIDS. So that's when I woke my mom up very aggressively at like 3.30 in the morning and told her that I was HIV positive and she wow. was really obviously concerned and bewildered yeah, no and even more concerned when I had to use my his story from Denmark to kind of like back up why I was coming to this conclusion. Mm. So now, that's how you told her. HIV wow. uh, is detected through blood tests. Were you doing blood tests as well? I had never done a blood test. Okay. But I had done um, all of the swabs that you can possibly get. Right. And I was getting every ingrown hair <laughs> yeah, tested. that I ever had tested. So. <laughs> What's this one? Yeah. Um, I would literally you... like lean up and show the doctor, like, point at things and be like, do you think this one? Maybe this one, though. I don't know. <laughs> do you think that the HIV anxiety may have been induced by your need to tell your mom about what happened? Hmm. I don't know. It definitely was coming to a head there because I had not broken down other than my, like, my doctor, who was a resident that was kind of working under my family doctor. Um, other than that experience, I hadn't, broach the topic with anyone so i certainly think i was like begging for an outlet mm. to talk to somebody about it when you told your doctor were you emotional about it or were you very factual about it no i was emotional you were <laughs> okay. yeah. i'm like i'm a little bit of a crybaby i'm surprised there hasn't been any like <laughs> yet today <laughs> you're holding it together yeah. uh what what came from there like how did you you know you so talking about that exactly like you're sitting here and you're you're having this conversation with us and you are able to talk about it mm -hmm. and you're able to talk about it in a very articulate manner and uh, I think that there's probably going to be some people that are listening to this and are feeling pretty grateful for that that you're able to speak to your experience with such poise and I'm wondering how did you get to this point you said you you don't really you didn't really find talking to uh, you know psychologists 
or, or medical professionals really helped. So what did you do to get to a point where you're able to come and sit down and essentially speak to, um, you know, the Metro Center full of people about your experience? Um, I first broached the topic with, uh, with a friend that was a really close friend of mine. And I, we had had a couple drinks. It was like an after the bar situation. And I was obviously feeling pretty consumed by the topic in my mind. And when we broached it, um, I was so completely floored to have her retort with a an equally horrific experience, mm-hmm. if not even more horrific, while she was traveling abroad. And um, I, I guess that really resonated with me because I felt so isolated the whole time. So it was really, really nice to have a friend. Yeah. Um, Just like a weight lifted off you. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, I honestly didn't expect to have the support from anybody because I assumed that people would say, like I mentioned earlier, you had this is, and- yeah, you had to come and this is something you brought on yourself mm-hmm. for being a hoochie. So uh, when I talked to my friend about it and she retorted with this story, I I couldn't believe it. But then I realized that I was also like so filled with um, grief for her and it kind of made me like have to reevaluate my perspective in terms of it's not just me who's had one of these experiences. Probably 90% of my girlfriends, my close girlfriends, have had some sort of experience that has made them feel sexually violated. Mm-hmm. And guilty and yeah. responsible. Yeah. So I, it helped normalize it for me. And then having that really positive experience of sharing that story with her and having it be a positive experience, um, I went on to discuss it with several other really close friends of mine. And although it does start with like the like sad puppy face and they look at you and their eyes are like full of pity eventually once you get going there's uh, there's like a rally back and forth of conversation and you get to hear how they feel about it and you reflect back on the way it makes them feel as well and I don't know it just it was really a positive experience to share mm-hmm. with my friends my closest friends because I didn't think it, they could commiserate with me at all and it turned out that Many of them were able to commiserate, although it was difficult. It was a cathartic experience. I enjoyed that a lot. How has this experience um, and and all aspects of this experience, you know, the the incident itself, the 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 journey into coming to a place where you can actually talk about it, um, talking about it with your your girlfriends, how has all of this affected your current relationship to sex um i still to this day like any new partner that i've ever had since the denmark experience i spend the next like month to six weeks going to get tested once every week oh wow and i can't shake it for the life of me so it's still a consistent thing for me even even when i had a boyfriend for two years i was still going to get tested like once every couple weeks and it became an issue in our relationship because I would get an ingrown hair and I was like, you gave me herpes. You gave me AIDS. He was like, 
completely awestruck that I would like bring these topics to the table (laughs) completely unfounded. Right. But I obviously had to like substantiate my anxiety with the fact that I like I gave them the background story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first time that I did that to him, he was like, oh, my fuck. Are you kidding me? Do I have to go get tested for herpes? Did I give you herpes? And then after that, it was a little bit more normalized and he was very patient with me. Because I still can't sleep with sleep with anyone without going to the doctor multiple times afterwards, and I even have been blood tested for herpes when I went out to visit my brother in Calgary. I got the blood test because they don't offer it here in uh, Nova Scotia, or they didn't at that time. So when I went out to visit my brother, I was like, "Oh, let me do some legwork here. Do they offer the and what herpes kind of doctors they got out here?" Yeah, right. And so my mom was very indulgent and spent the entire day, one of our entire days of our vacation, going to see a walk-in clinic doctor in Calgary, and then going to a lab and getting the blood work done. Much to my chagrin, they would not release my data to, or my results to me uh, over the phone because I had already left Calgary. <gasps> Oh, no. So I had to spend like another two weeks waiting for the process of my doctor sending a release form that I had gone to sign over to this lab. And it literally sweated bullets for two weeks. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Like, what do you think would happen? God forbid, Carly, you get herpes (laughs) someday. What do you think? That, like what? If, what's that going to be like? Honestly, like it would probably would it be, be a, a relief? huge. Yeah, it would probably be a huge <laughs> be like, weight fuck. off my shoulders because I, like I said, I knew it. My yeah, web, yeah. my WebMD yeah. issue. Um, I actually, my my roommate or my former roommate is a nurse, and she is um quite impressed with my ability <laughs> to self-diagnose sometimes. Not usually to do with this the kind of stuff but happened. like y- yes but i i am pretty decent at self-diagnosing sometimes so i feel like i would be so validated <laughs> if i found out that i had it because i've been like all this time yeah. but I, no i all this time i had it, it's been dormant I yeah know it all ultimately <laughs> i would really prefer not to have herpes but uh, ideally ideally yeah. In, yeah, yeah. in a perfect world I'm but with i'm with you on that but i uh i definitely um think it would be probably a relief because it's something that I don't know why I have such an affliction dealing with that mentally. Maybe you died in a past life from like the bubonic plague. Maybe. You know, like yeah. sores. Or like yeah. syphilis. I went yeah. mad from syphilis. Yeah. You know? That would make complete sense. <laughs> we're, we're, we're coming up to, to time here, but before we do, um, especially in these kinds of situations where there's there's trauma Involved. I'm, I always find it really interesting to know um, what what people, so how these things have affected people and, and what mm-hmm. kind of change it's brought in their life. And so a, a, a two parter. The first one being, what, what would you say your experience, uh, this experience, has taken away from you? Um, it took away my naivete a little bit. It like took away my like bashful innocence. Because I can't go into a one-night stand footloose and fancy free. Hmm. If I, like, dared to have a one-night stand, it would it would traumatize me for a while. And I spend, I spend the next many days consumed by the thought that I have contracted something. Mm-hmm. So that, I guess it's 
uh, I guess it's probably like it is a, a benefit in in some ways because it makes me really, really cautious in terms of who I'm intimate with. And I think that can be taken for granted sometimes. And I know that binge drinking is like the cool thing when you're first starting university and a lot of people aren't super careful with prophylactic or condom use. So uh, I definitely feel like it took away my ability to be footloose and fancy free with a new partner. What would you say this experience has given you? It has given me a lot of anxiety. (laughs) Um, It also right now has given me the opportunity to speak out in such a way that I hope if there are any young girls starting Frosh Week right now and in a place where they're going to be involved with a lot of partying and drinking, um, it's given me an opportunity to let them know that the most important thing you can do is to keep a really strong group of friends around you while you're drinking because you don't really have control of the situation that you're in. And to the best of your abilities, look out for your own hiney because there are people out there who are like ready and willing to Ooh. take advantage of the wounded gazelle at the back of the pack. That means a lot. I have four little sisters and the idea of anything traumatic being inflicted upon them it makes me feel like I would murder somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, there's nothing we can tell people that they don't already know about being careful. I mean, and it shouldn't be our responsibility to tell them that. But but uh, I really appreciate your willingness to come in and talk so openly about it because I know that a lot of people can't, move beyond their own like guilt and feelings of responsibility to say like to get out there and be like it's not my fault it's Mm -hmm. not my responsibility and uh these things are happening we gotta talk about it so that uh so that so that more people know that it's not their fault and so the hopefully eventually the political climate will change and that people who are drunk to the point of like that kind of inebriation or intoxicated with other substances to that point of inebriation are not deemed capable of giving consent Mm -hmm. because that's I think one of the biggest issues for me right now is that we have local judges saying that even a drunk can consent yeah and I understand that they're trying to protect everyone's rights in that situation but there certainly is a, a tipping point in intoxication where if you are completely blacked out and you don't remember giving consent, are you really in a place where you can give consent? Mm-hmm. And I think that gray area is very difficult to delve into um, in terms of like the logistics legally. But it definitely does not, it's not a favorable climate for young women to come forward and mm-hmm. to admit to these kind of, or I, I say admit, like it's something that they've done, but to come forward and speak to these experiences because I know that I was, that was my, one of the things that called, caused me the greatest amount of um, duress was that I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it and be understood. I, I hope that conversations like this continue to happen and, me too. and that this, you know, at least plays a very small, small, small microscopic role in making making a change so thank you so much for coming in no problem it was a pleasure i was really excited to do so yeah Yeah. thank you and thank you all so much for listening uh we hope you enjoyed it we'll be back next week as we always are and until then head on over to itunes subscribe rate review 
Are you tired of hearing it yet? If you haven't done it yet, just go do it. Just and then you do can it just already. skip this part. Uh, and we're also on social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all and that stuff. On the internet with our very own website, turnmeonpodcast.com, where you can read blog posts by our guests and submit your own stories if you want to be a guest or your questions if you want us to take a running jump and blind leap at answering your conundrums that's right the blog posts are really good you should go check them out yeah and there's some good pictures too yeah there's some some nsfw photos up there on our website don't that's go it. there if you're 10 <laughs> at work yeah you're 10 at work and if you're a 10, you're a 10 at year work. old working in an office it's not the greatest website for you <laughs> also you you have other fish you need to fry <laughs> that's right um <laughs> thank you uh and until next week go fuck yourself
ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.